this is our seventh week going through Hebrews 11, looking at faith. Um, I'm going to catch you guys up really quick. And, and one of the benefits to catching us up um, is remembering. Because I realize that even if we preach and we preach really clearly, and even if you leave from this Sunday or whatever Sunday you came and you thought, that was incredible. Like, I, I feel like I am looking at the world in a new way. <laughs> I feel like, like maybe I was approaching life a little blurry. And then, and then all of a sudden I, I hear the story of an Abel who gave his best to God. And I realize that I've been giving my second best to God. And I see it worked out in life. We shared the life of Eric Liddell that Sunday and how giving your best to God, what that looks like. Oftentimes we go through life giving God our second best and expecting God to give us his best. And, and we're like, no, I, I want to change in that. So whether it's that or we started out looking at God's creation of the world and how that's the foundation for everything. Enoch, how Enoch t- delighted in God and how his, his enjoyment of God was not just in the present life but in the life to come. Right? And so as we look at those things, and if it, if it struck you at all, I know that you probably are sitting here today as a work in progress. Amen? Okay. <laughs> if you got it, like, maybe you can come preach next week. Because, you know, like, like, we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Those who have committed to follow him were disciples, which means learner. And so, so we, we gather along the way these lessons that the Holy Spirit's teaching us. And, and by the grace of God, we're learning to be faithful with those things one step at a time. Right? It's not a matrix upload where you like all of a sudden learn how to like be sanctified and fly helicopters at the same time. Like that that's not the way it works. You hear the word of God, it plants itself in your soul, and, and by the grace, and it literally is by the grace of God, you are being transformed into his image. Okay, so so as we go through faith and, and we are slowly beginning to see the world in a new way, and I mean slowly because because you realize like, like we've been out of focus for a long time, and to come back into focus does take time. We looked at, at Noah, who was not influenced by the world's systems. A, a, a man who, who saw the world and everything it had to offer and decided to obey the word and the will of God. We looked at Abraham, who followed wherever God would lead him. Moses, who accepted disgrace for the name of Jesus. And this week, we're going to look at a whole collection of people. And so if you turn with me to Hebrews 11, the way this is introduced is really cool because, because this is how the writer of Hebrews starts. He says, in Hebrews 11.32, he says, And what more shall I say? Which literally what he's saying is like, Hey guys, if you don't get it by now, I don't know what is going to make you get this. And then he goes, so, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to breeze you through about, I don't know, well, we've got five examples here. So, and, then, and I'm just going to give you story after story after story where, where people saw through the eyes of faith and so they lived differently. And so this is his last desperate call to like, if you don't, if you don't get this, I don't know what else is going to help you in getting this. So... Hebrews 11, 32 through 38, says this, By faith, oh, and what more shall we say? And I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, 
administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sought in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. And that's where we are ending today. There is going to be more next week. But the reason why we end there is, is very purposeful. And, and the reason for that is because... Faith is for both who we would consider winners and those we would see as wanderers. This is, and this is profound for us because I don't think often we let our faith include both of those. Back in the late 1920s, there was a couple that got this, and I want to share their story really briefly before we look at Hebrews 11. There were a couple by the name of John and Betty Stam. And, and before actually I knew their story at all, I had read, um, I had read a prayer that, that Betty Stam wrote. I, I don't remember where it was. It was probably a magazine or a book or something like that. And a prayer that she wrote when she was 18 years old. So before she'd even gone to college, she wrote this prayer. And this is what, what it says. Lord... I give up all my plans, purposes, all my desires and hopes. I give myself, my life, my all utterly to you, to be yours forever. Fill me and seal me with your Holy Spirit. Use me as you will. Send me where you will. And work your whole will in my life at any cost, now and forever. At any cost, now and forever. And when I read that, it had this profound impact on me. So, I, you know, what anyone would do, I, like, kept it. <laughs> I remember whether it was a... I don't have this one in my wallet compared to the other one. Uh, I, whether it was cutting out the magazine or writing it down, I, I kept this in mind. And, and later got to read their biography, the biography of John and Betty Stam. Betty later went to college at Moody Bible Institute. And there... In her first year, she wrote this. She says, I don't know what God has in store for me. I really am willing to be an old maid missionary or an old maid anything else all my life if God wants me to. It's as clear as daylight to me that the only worthwhile life is one of unconditional surrender to God's will and of living in His way, trusting His love and guidance. Whatever the cost, whatever it is, I'll do that. Betty did not end up becoming an old maid. That's her words. Later, she met a guy by the name of John Stamm, who in his commencement speech that he offered at Moody said this, The faithfulness of God is the only certain thing in the world today. We need not fear the result of trusting in him. We need not fear the result of trusting in Him. And this, this might seem courageous. And, well, that sounds good, but, but when it 
you know, when the time comes, will you hold to that? And the time did come for Scott, John, and, and Betty Stam uh, very soon. At the age of 25, Betty left to China to become a missionary there. A year later, John left also to China. After a year of being in China and not seeing one another, they got married. They got married a day after they reunited in China. And about a year later, they had a child named Helen Stam. Well, at that time, there was a communist revolution in China. And it was coming to civil war. And uh, anyone who was a foreigner there was, uh, was getting tracked down. So a lot of the missionaries left at that time. They didn't have the chance to leave. And neither, according to their journals, neither, neither did they want to. They felt called there and they felt called to stay. Um, in December of 1933, or sorry, 1934, they heard that a band of marauding communists, that's what their biography says, marauding communists, it sounds very scary, came and found them in their home and, and took them from their home. And, and this story is both a tragedy and a miracle at the same time. Because while John and Betty Stam lost their life, along the way they actually hid Helen in a house where they were kept. And someone later came and found Helen and she survived. She was smuggled out of China. But John and Betty Stam lost their life. And the amazing thing about this is, is how ready they were. As you can read their, their uh, speeches and their journals, their diaries. Um, these are people who, if you look at their lives, you would think, you guys weren't even 30 years old yet. How is, how is that a good use of your life? How is that not wasting your life? And, and as we read Hebrews 11, I think, I think that's kind of the sobering reality that we come to at the end of Hebrews 11, is we see people who, through faith, it says, conquer kingdoms and shut the mouths of lions, quench the fury of flames. And it says, but then others were sawn in two, and others were tortured, and others refused to be let out of captivity. And others, they wandered around in sheepskin and goatskin, which is not comfortable. Right? How, how can both of those things be a result of faith in God? And, and how, do, how do we as people accept those things as both potential results of being people of faith? In 1 Peter it says this. It says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice that you participate in the suffering of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. It says, don't consider this strange. But then our question is, why, why is this like the most strange thing to us? Why, when you have to wake up early to defrost the windows of your car, do you think it's strange? And that's not even suffering. Right? But you're like, gosh, the morning was so bad. It was like 30 degrees out. <laughs> right? so, like you consider that strange, but then all of a sudden something happens in your life that you know God could have prevented, and yet that happened. A family tragedy. Right? Something personally to you, and, and your first thought is, this isn't a part of faith. This isn't a part of what I signed up for. Right? I signed up to conquer kingdoms. I signed up to 
shut the mouths of lions, right? That's what faith is, right? And then you, you find yourself getting consumed by lions or made fun of at work. And you go, no, that's not faith. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's, that is what faith is. Faith is not about your personal kingdom. It's about building the kingdom of God. But how does that happen through all these circumstances? And this is the thing. This is so important. In the eyes of the person, and this is hard to hear, but in the eyes of the person who does not love God with their, their whole heart and mind, this life of faith will always be considered a waste. It will always be considered a waste. And that is reasonable for them to think that. Right? If someone does not understand what it means to love God and be loved by God, what f- the life of faith offers makes no rational sense. Because it is not a guarantee of worldly prosperity like is sometimes promised. So, so why is this worth it? Why is the life of faith worth it? Because some of you are right now like, I don't know. Okay. The life of faith is worth it. There's three things that we see in the life of these people that, that I think should help us tremendously. And the first is this. The first is that those we read about in Hebrews 11 and those like... John and Betty Stam, they surrendered unconditionally to God. Their surrender to follow God was not conditional, but it was unconditional. In Betty Stam's journal, this is exactly what she writes. It says, it is as clear as daylight to me that the only worthwhile life is one of unconditional surrender to God's will and of living in his way, trusting his love and his guidance. So what does unconditional surrender mean? It means this. Conditional surrender is, is when you surrender, but it's on your terms. So you've made conditions for your surrender. I will surrender to you, God. I will surrender if you don't touch this part of my life. That would be a conditional surrender, right? Where, where you, you agree to follow God, but only to a certain extent, or only if he keeps his hands off of certain areas of your life. I will surrender if I still get the future that I have planned, or the, the job that I really want, or the person that I really love. That, those are all conditional surrenders, as if we can come to God and we have this position to bargain with him. That we have something to offer that he'll be like, okay, you've waged a really persuasive argument. That's, that, isn't, that, that isn't what happens. Basically, my surrender to God in conditional surrender means that God gets the privilege of making my dreams come true. After all, he's powerful enough to do that, right? That's the idea of conditional surrender. Like, this is what I'm signing up for. God, you're powerful enough, right? Why can't you just throw in a couple extra incentives that that I want? And, And that sounds funny. 
But, but that is ultimately what keeps us so dissatisfied when we make conditional surrender and keep pursuing that path, is we're constantly going, well, God, just remember what I, remember what I wanted along the way. Unconditional surrender is the opposite of that. Where when we surrender to God, we say, God, this is for your glory and for your name's sake. Do with my life what you will. And two very different results come from conditional surrender and unconditional surrender. This is inherent in the Christian life and in the prayer Jesus said, pray this. right? Not not my will be done, but, but your will be done. God, carry out your will in my life. The Apostle Paul um, understood this. And, and his perspective um, on the world, it, it says in 1 Corinthians one was that he said, I understand that the cross of Christ, what we, what we accept when we accept unconditional surrender and what it means to follow Jesus. He says, I understand this is foolishness. I understand that it's a stumbling block to people, that this is what we get. He says, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, he says, but I, I've made it my goal to speak of nothing else other than Christ and Him crucified. So, unconditional surrender. This is what this is. This starts us on the path, but even for many of us, we'll still ask, okay, but why unconditional surrender? The reason unconditional surrender is this. Because they were motivated by what they saw success was. And they saw success very differently than the way that we see success. Their one ambition, the one ambition of these people and those who follow Jesus, is, is the glory of God. It's not personal glory. It's the glory of God and it's not personal glory. When we seek personal glory, all of a sudden, what I've planned and, and what I hope will get carried out what I've, I've organized so people will recognize me or, or somehow acknowledge what I've done. It doesn't become about that anymore. It becomes about something much bigger than that. Actually, something much higher than that. Which is, as we've, we started the beginning of Hebrews 11 with, where it says, without faith, no one will see God. Right? And so, so by faith, we've got a vision of God We've got a confidence in who he is and a conviction of, of what he is able to do. And, and part of his ability was in creating the world and forming it in such a way to be in relationship to him. And, and we've seen that. And it has literally changed everything about us. Because when we look at the world, we can no longer see it as as my personal ambition fighting it some, sometimes with your push, personal ambition or everyone else's. But all of a sudden, I've seen a God who does love the world and is longing for that world to be, to be in relationship with himself. And nothing glorifies him more than that. And so all of a sudden, I, I become 
about that, not about my personal goals. Right? So I'm willing to, to absolutely, unconditionally surrender myself because I realize, and this is, this is the challenge, because I realize that the things I have told myself aren't completely true. And the things that I have per- pursued aren't really satisfying because there, there's going to be something else that I need to then convince myself of or, or somehow fill in the blank. I need to say, God, I surrender Myself completely to you because I realize my logic, my, what I pursue, God, it's not even real compared to what you've created and what you offer. And this creates Hebrews 11 where you have these people who some shut the mouths of lions and some conquered kingdoms and others Wandered, and it says they lived in holes and in caves, and that was the reality of their life. When we understand success in this way, we put less emphasis on being self made and more emphasis on being God shaped. And there's a big difference between the two because I think, I think we do put a very high premium on the first, and the first one makes a lot of sense to us being self made. Well, what can I do to, to make myself something that when other people see me, they're like, gosh, you really made it. Like, you, you pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps. You succeeded. But the person who seeks the glory of God, not their, their own glory, is looking to be literally God-shaped, realizing that, that satisfaction comes from being in a relationship with Him. It's not, it doesn't come from simply checking off goals that you've made for yourself. And this is, this is challenging unless we, we use the tools God's given us. And the tools God's given us are challenging. And they are good. Paul, again, in, he, in uh, 2 Corinthians 10 Paul starts kind of working people through what his life's looked like since he made a commitment to follow Jesus. And, and he's like, you know, I've been shipwrecked a couple times. Like, I was flogged a couple times. Um, you know, I was, like, kicked out of places. And he says, and, and, and throughout that process, um, he shares this incredible story, and he calls it this, this thorn in his flesh. And what he says there, he says, and as I, I plead with God to remove that from me, what God said was this. He says, my, my power is made perfect in your weakness, Paul. My, my mercy is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for you. So what does this life look like? Where, where the grace of God is sufficient for us and we're not just looking for our plans to be fulfilled. And I... And I'm going to help you guys walk through this because I realize this is probably one of the more challenging sermons you've ever heard. <laughs> a sermon that goes, you might be a winner or you might be a wanderer, right? And all of a sudden you go home and you're like, winner, 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 right? <laughs> like, like, you know, did I get the long straw or the short straw? Like, right, because, because I know, I know you... 
that we, I can't change, that I, I, I can't change my own heart, let alone your heart, right? And so, so how do we process this? And, and this is the only way we can process this, is we read the scripture and we see the scripture talk in a greater reality than any other book. Because because other things make false promises, and the Bible's not making false promises. The Bible's leveling with you and going, you know what's going to happen? Challenging things. Right? There's going to be awesome things. Yeah, like, I'm not just focusing on challenging things. The fact is, there's wonderful things that are going to happen. And the fact is that, that even those who, like, and I, I wish I could just, like, read aloud for you. You probably wish this, too. John and Betty Stam's journals, like, like, they were people who were deeply satisfied in Jesus. And as things came, they didn't see those things as, as like oppression or God being against them or this wasn't a part of faith, but they saw their life, everything, their, their view of the world was so changed that they weren't just looking to move from pleasure to pleasure to pleasure. They said, God, whatever you bring into my life, may it be for your glory because I am yours completely. And some of you guys might become millionaires to the glory of God. Others of you might experience tragedy to the glory of God. That, that, that is Hebrews 11. And so if I were just to go, okay, this is how you use your million dollars, I wouldn't be faithful in preaching the scripture. Because I know for a lot of you, I'm going to have to walk with you, and I want to, and I look forward to walking with you as we say, God, how are you shaping us, and how, how, is, this, how is this also for your glory? How do, people, how do people see you through this? And, and as we come to God in faith and offer our lives completely to Him, as, as our view of the world is changed and shaped and say, oh God, for Your name's sake, something will happen in you that, that I, I can't even like preach you into that. Right? But the amazing thing is, as... as this transformation of faith happens in your life. What it says in Hebrews 11 is that the world is not worthy of that. The world is not, it says the world was not worthy of these people. And what does it mean? What this means is this, that, that this incredible beauty of a life that is not destroyed by whatever comes, either destroyed by what you think is success or what you think is failure, a life that isn't destroyed by that because your goal and your ambition isn't your personal glory. It says that, that the world isn't worthy of that. And, and literally what that means is the world doesn't recognize what's going on there. Because something has happened in you that you, like Abel, have given your best to God, not your second best. You weren't holding on to something that, that when that tragedy or that whatever came destroyed you because you realized that a lot of you was just holding on to this something else. Or like Enoch, and you realized that, that this life as you walked, you were just preparing to continue walking into eternity with God. 
Okay? You weren't polluted by the world's systems. Like you and like Moses weren't polluted by the world system. So you said, okay, just get one up. And then you'll be satisfied. Your satisfied has come from somewhere else. And then the world, when they, they look at that, it says they don't, they don't know how to recognize that and they don't know how to acknowledge that. I, was, um, I spoke at a... Being not recognized is very hard sometimes. I spoke at a, a camp... A couple of years. I think this is my third year speaking in the summer camp. And uh, maybe this is the second year. I don't know. Um, and this year, when I went to speak there, I was talking to one of the, the students who had been there the year before. And they were like, man, last year was so amazing. Like, it gave me life to Jesus. And they were, like, just saying how their life had been changed. And then they, they got done. They were like, were you there last year? I was like, I was the speaker. You're like, you're like, recognize this, okay? But you know, like, when you don't get recognized, all, what happens at that point, right? When you're like, you realize, like, you were just present and God was doing the work. Like, you know, at the end of that, I was like, that is amazing. Like, that is so cool that the whole time, they, they were just, hopefully they had their eyes closed, right? And, and they could just, they were just hearing what I was hoping to communicate the whole time, which was, give your lives to God, don't look back, and that is the best life possible. Right? So, so these people who have done this, they are, they are unrecognized. And we, we have a list, a very short list here in Hebrews 11, but the fact is, like, this world has been full of people who found their satisfaction in Jesus, who walked from this life into the next life. And just kept walking. And, and, and the world never knew what to do with them. Like, their coworkers, like, I don't know, they're kind of weird. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Like, I don't know why when this came into their life, like, and it, and it hurt, and they felt it, their response wasn't despair and bitterness. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because we see the world in a very different way. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, therefore I don't live anymore, but it's, it's Christ that lives in me, and the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Guys, that, that's like a radically new perspective. And, and without that perspective... Without that perspective, we will constantly read about faith and go, I don't, I don't fully get that. Until we make that step of, of unconditional surrender, not trying to barter with God, not trying to bargain our way still, not trying to keep something, um, but realizing that every, every good gift is from Him. And, and we have the incredible opportunity of hearing from him and participating in his work in the world. The example we have for this is is modeled by God himself. In, In Isaiah 53, it prophesies about Jesus coming. And this is what it writes about him. It says, He, referring to Jesus, grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, 
Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So you say, like, well, God, how can you call me to this life where maybe I'm not recognized? Some of you guys will be recognized. Honestly, some of you guys are recognized a ton already. But what will keep you from, from that polluting you to think that that's the goal? Well, look at Jesus, who, who it says, there was nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was like one from whom men hide their faces. He was one that we despised and we esteemed him not. So, so when we take the opposite route and we're like, okay, what I want is fame and popularity, we're going to have a very hard time relating with Jesus. <laughs> he says, I'm, I'm willing to be one who isn't recognized. So God, guys, I, I invite you today to be people of faith. As we, as we walk through what, that, what faith looks like, and then as you sit here today and go, well, what does this now look like as I, as I walk from here to be a person who, who follows God wholeheartedly? A couple questions for you. Have you put conditions on your surrender to God? Have you said, God, if it looks like this, then... I'll put my faith in you. Do you still center your life around your own plans, waiting for God to get with that program? Are you disappointed when people don't praise you or acknowledge you because of what you are doing and the sacrifices that you are making? This both transforms us individually, but this transforms us as a church. What does it look like to be a church that doesn't seek popularity? What does it look like to be a church who isn't trying to make a name for itself, but wants to see the name of God glorified in the city, or wherever it is? What does it look like to be a church that doesn't make a program, and then be like, well, God, we made a really great plan. What does it look like when something happens to us as the people of God and we respond to it together, saying, Oh God, for your name's sake. And we talk about this, we talk about this a lot because this, is, this is sometimes can be, and it shouldn't be, but it can be very theoretical for us when we do have brothers and sisters around the world who, who are making this stand, right? And the church is, is glorifying God incredibly. Like this is happening. And, and so we as a church get to say, like, how, how are we going to participate in that? And I say this realizing that this isn't, this isn't like an easy message. Like, we could be a church that God decides to display His glory through. Not by becoming huge, but by simply working with people that maybe just are really hurting. We get to work with a couple and we just love one another. And like, I, who know? I don't know. But what does that look like to be a people of faith together? And as we read the Bible, we're not skipping half of it that's hard. (laughs) 
Right? There's a prophet in the Old Testament that wrote a whole book called Crying. It's called Lamentations, right? <laughs> like, like, how do you read that in the context of faith? Is it in your context of faith is the question. And for us who maybe even now are unsettled and terrified by this, what is exciting to me to preach this sermon is that as we go from here and the next time something hard happens, you will remember this. And you will go, this is a part of my walk of faith. This isn't something outside. This isn't God forgetting me. Because when I gave my life to Jesus, I gave all of it to him. I didn't just give the good parts. I gave it all to him. I said, God, may your will be done in my life. And guys, if we do that together, if we do that together, God will be glorified. We won't get the glory, and that's a good thing. God will get the glory. People will see his goodness. And we will experience what was always available and is available right now, which is just the satisfaction of being about the right thing. About a God who made the world, loves it, and is calling it back into relationship with himself. And part of what he might use to bring it back into relationship with himself is you. And that's an incredible gift. So pray with me, and we'll worship him together. God, we, um, I think maybe even right now we kind of feel this heaviness of the reality of, of our lives ahead. I know that some people in this church will walk through things themselves and with family members that are tragedies. As a, as a family, we're going to walk through cancer together. We're going to walk through other challenges Maybe something will happen in our city, but but in that, God, we know that you are faithful. And it isn't just in this life we hope, because that hope would be in vain, but in life to come. And I pray that through it all, God, through it all, we will be able to hold one another and remind each other of your goodness. We'll be able to remind each other, like it says in, in James, that this, this life is but a moment, like a breath that appears and then vanishes. And we have the amazing opportunity to partner with you. God, I pray that you'll fill this church just with an amazing love for yourself, a courageous, contagious love God, that just speaks your name. Speaks your name in the good times and in the hard times. God, we need your spirit as we walk forward. We probably sing in Jesus' mighty name, amen.